Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act 1! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe and share this episode with your friends. Give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com. Also on Instagram and Twitter at WG Therapy. Individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter and Tom Loveman on Instagram. And I'm at Roshni Lamino on Instagram and on Twitter. And today we have a very special guest, somebody that I've known for quite a long time. (laughs) We go all the way back to Michigan State University, so it's been a very long time. Kelly Carter, who is the senior entertainment reporter on ESPN's Undefeated, where they discuss race, pop culture, and sports. She's also worked for USA Today, Vibe, BuzzFeed, Essence, MTV News, Chicago Tribune, Ebony, Detroit Free Press, and then, of course, where it all began the state news at Michigan State University. <laughs> Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I feel obligated to say go green because you shouted <laughs> out Michigan State. So. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll cover all of that. So okay. before we get into the big news, why don't you give a brief summary of your writing career and how you got where you are now? Yeah, you know, I feel like I say, and I love talking to writers specifically about this because I think that we're in a very unique tribe. And that is that we all probably realized very early that we were amongst the best writers in our elementary school classes. Whenever we had group projects, everyone wanted to be in our group because they knew we would probably do the lion's share of the work and we all would get a really good grade. And so that was me. You know, I identified pretty early um, that I wanted to be a writer and I didn't really know what that meant. I mean, at the time, I thought it would mean, you know, writing fiction books. And of course, when you're in fifth grade, they're really trying to track you for discipline. You know, that's when you first start seeing career days and they start, you know, assessing skills. And there is no, you know, path for being a novelist, uh, you know, a 10 year old novelist. Um, there's not a vocation for it at least, but there is a vocation for journalism. And so my fifth grade teacher was like, well, you could be a journalist. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I started working for our our school newspaper. And as I like to say, I've been I've been writing ever since. I used to say I've been working for a newspaper ever since, but that that obviously has shifted and changed so much over the course of my career. But what what really happened is, you know that stayed with me through high school. And then by the time I was getting ready to apply for colleges, um, and some colleges like Michigan State want you to pre-declare a major so that you're not necessarily wasting a lot of money, time, and effort taking classes that you don't need to take. Um, I thought I wanted to study either theater or journalism. And journalism won out because it was just a more practically based career, uh, at least as far as my parents (laughs) could could see. (laughs) And so... And so that's what I did. And of course, I I worked for the state news and a a college newspaper. And at that time, there was such a separation of church and state between broadcast and print. And I initially went in to college thinking that even though I loved writing, that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, that I wanted to work, you know, in local news media and, and eventually anchor a desk. But 
I got very easily persuaded against doing that because it truly, it, it was like gang wars, you know, back in the, in the mid to late nineties, um, between the two kind of disciplines that, that obviously share uh, so much of the same DNA. And so newspapers really went out for me and I started working, um, you know, thinking that I, w- I would cover news, not really knowing what that meant, but I did a bunch of internships. I worked at the St. Petersburg Times, the Flint Journal, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, and my first full-time job out of college was in Detroit. And by the time I got to Detroit, I knew I wanted to be an entertainment reporter. And I specifically went there to learn how to be a critic. Um, I started covering music. You know, Detroit's very musically rich, obviously. I like to say that you know, Detroit created the music that ultimately changed the world and certainly shaped the world. I don't know if there's anyone literally on the planet Earth that has not danced to a Motown song at someone's wedding. Um, That music really transcends race and generations and cultures. And I felt like, you know, Detroit was on the precipice of another musical revolution. And I was right in that um, (laughs) there was this crazy white dude from from Detroit uh, named Marshall Mathers or Eminem, who had just gotten signed uh, by Dr. Dre. And I had just started working at the Free Press literally right before he got signed. And and we all know what, what kind of happened once Marshall put out that first single and then the first album, LP, and it became such a big deal because before hip hop was really concentrated to the coast, it was on the East Coast or the West Coast. But all of a sudden, you know, the Midwest had something to say. And it was led by this very eccentric white guy from one of the blackest towns in, in the U.S. And so there was a lot of stories to be told. And I, and I loved being able to help assist and tell some of those stories. And that truly, that was my first experience working full time as an entertainment journalist. And I stayed in Detroit for a little longer than I had initially intended, partially because it was home and also because there was so much happening. You know, Eminem became his own thing, but then there was so much development that we started seeing happen in Detroit that was directly affecting the entertainment industry. We saw the growth of downtown and eventually the Super Bowl came back to Detroit, not even back to Detroit, to Detroit for the first time because when it when it existed, you know, 30 years prior, it was, you know, out in Pontiac at the Silverdome, but this was the first time that Detroit, the city, got to be a little bit of a crowning jewel for, a, you know, the biggest televised event in the country. Um, and so it was exciting to be a part of that and to help, you know, kind of write the history of what that felt like. And eventually I, I finally, you know, decided I had to push myself to to leave something that was very comfortable. And I did. And I went to the Chicago Tribune. And there, it was my hope to learn how to cover more than just music and more than just a nightlife scene. I wanted to learn how to um, cover film in the Hollywood industry. And I didn't stay in Chicago for as long as I probably planned on staying. I was only there for exactly a year. But right when I left to go to Chicago was really when the bottom started falling out of of newspapers and we started seeing layoffs for the first time and people losing their jobs. And what I noticed is that when people were getting laid off or were losing their jobs um, in mass quantities, they weren't going back into journalism. They were doing something else. And I was thinking, what is it that I would want to do 
you know, if I, if I got laid off here, um, because my dream was never to live in Chicago. Um, my dream was to, you know, work for the Chicago Tribune, but it was never to live in Chicago and work in academia, which is what I saw a lot of people doing. And I thought, no, I want to be an entertainment reporter. And I think in order to do that, I need to find myself in a situation where I'm either in Los Angeles or New York. And before I could figure out how to make that happen, USA Today called me and said, hey, with this job, uh, you'd be a red carpet reporter uh, and you'd be you know, going on film sets and writing about personalities and doing features. Is this something you would be interested in doing? By the way, this job is in Los Angeles. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> sign, sign me up. And I came out to LA and um, of course the bottom was still falling out of newspapers. So a year later, I was laid off from USA Today and I was fortunate and privileged in some ways because I didn't have to think about what to do next because I was getting so many calls for freelance work. And that was great. I was writing a lot of magazine cover stories, but I also was doing a lot of cable news, which was kind of a new experience for me where I uh, was going on as a talking head and a commentator because all of a sudden in 2009, 2010, entertainment news was a 24 hour news cycle, you know, and the kind of evolution, I think, of celebrity news, partially because of the growth of the paparazzi out in LA, but also just really, you know, just the growth of like the celebutant that was right when, you know, the Britney Spears and uh, Paris Hilton's of the world were, you know, occupying space on CNN. All of a sudden I had this really crazy expertise to, um, to talk about it. And that was also when I think I probably noticed that I, I was doing half writing and half talking um, after spending at that point, 10 years, just, you know, 100% as a writer. But that was really when things first started changing, I think, for me about 10 years ago. Wow. And so that's really kind of my story as a writer. <laughs> Which is an amazing... <laughs> One thing I've noticed, too, the theme that seems to run throughout it is you've been very deliberate with your choices. I mean, yes, you've yeah. had some random lucky things like USA Today calling and stuff, but it sounds like every time you're like, no, this is how I want to grow, you made mm -hmm. deliberate choices to get there, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I tried to, and and I, I was really winking it in a lot of cases, but I also feel like I had some really great examples to to look toward. You know, I had like a really great community of journalism friends who we all would have started right around the same time. Some of those friends came from Michigan State from my uh -huh. college experience. Some of those friends came because I uh, we met as interns at some of the different papers that we worked for and maintained the friendship. And then others, you know, you, you meet out in the world to do the same thing that you're doing. And so I think most of us probably do this without thinking of it in this way. But I, I honestly just really had like a very informal board of directors, you know. Um, so basically, I had people that I would bounce things off of. Uh, career goals and aspirations and next steps. And I essentially would really just kind of consult my my board to keep myself honest and to make sure that I'm on track. And, you know, because they also were friends, they uh, they would do what friends do, which is remind you when you're not adhering to the goals that you set out for yourself. They'd be like, now you said you <laughs> wanted to do 
this thing is is this step, you know, getting you to that to that space that you want to go to. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So real quickly, entertainment reporter on ESPN, I never would have thought those two go together. So how did that show come about? Ever, right? So two things. So when I was laid off and um it was December 2009, um, one of the first calls that I got to do some freelance work was from ESPN. And it was to write for ESPN. At the time they had this um <laughs> they had this site, um, this section on on their ESPN site called Page Two that was extremely popular. And page two was just everything but the kitchen sink, essentially. And it was filled with a lot of pop culture and stories and uh, they they wanted to tap into what I was doing as an entertainment journalist. And it helped at the time that the person running page two had been laid off in their previous job from um, from the chain that that owned uh, Chicago Tribune at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they they just understood and they wanted to have like initially initially the phone call was kind of like uh I got laid off before too, and I'm still mad about it, even though I have a really great job. So let's talk about it. And then eventually it was, by the way, I should hire you to, to freelance for us. I uh, like what you do. And and so I did. And then when I started doing other jobs as a freelancer, I started, I stopped working for for ESPN um, ultimately because they, they ended up closing, um, shuttering, you know, uh, page two. And uh I was at BuzzFeed at the time that I got the phone call from ESPN. And it was so cool because uh, Marie Donahue, who was a VP at the time um, for ESPN, she called and I was so flattered and so honored because I knew that ESPN was trying to launch a site, uh, a microsite that, that dealt with you know, race, sports, and culture. And she wanted to talk to me about being an entertainment reporter, editor, something for that site. And, uh, and she, you know, I mean, basically she said, how about you just kind of create your job, um, your dream job over here and come work with us. And, you know, those are always coveted phone calls to get. And I was like, all right, let me think about that. But at the time she had not hired, you know, an editor to run it. and. I don't know if I ever even <laughs> told my boss this. So if he hears this, he will he will fall out. But <laughs> I am a reporter. I am a reporter. And uh, a little birdie mentioned to me sometime after that conversation that um, that someone that they were hot on hiring, the person they really wanted to come in to take that job was Kevin Merida at, from the Washington Post. He was managing editor of the Washington Post at the time. Kevin Merida is someone that I have always put on that, you know, unofficial board of directors. When mm-hmm. I was in Chicago thinking about leaving to go to USA Today, it was Kevin that I talked to. You know, we sat on, we were at a, a NABJ, National Association of Black Journalists conference in Chicago. We sat on a couch at a hotel lobby. And I was like, I feel badly. I've only been here a year, but this is what's happening. And he's like, this sounds like an amazing job. You have to, you have to take it. And so it was a very full circle, you know, moment and experience for me to, to then be talking with Kevin about working for him at ESPN. And that's actually, you know, absolutely what happened. And, um, and so once he officially took the job, 
you know, he reached out to me and made me his first hire, uh, which was awesome and amazing. And um, I was in DC for an event I was moderating at one of the Smithsonian museums and we had dinner. He hadn't even started officially yet. I think, I don't even think he had an email address, <laughs> but, but, you know, he made it happen. We talked about what I wanted to do and what, and what I thought I could bring to the table. And ESPN was such a different change of pace for me for a couple of reasons. Technically, it was a change of pace because this was the first job I was brought in under a talent contract for. And that was a completely foreign experience for me. I had to run out at that time to find a lawyer because all of a sudden I have a 20-page contract that I mean, I couldn't read five words, you know, um, so I needed somebody who obviously could read legalese. And that was a first for me. And that's a very, I think, foreign experience for um, for print journalists. And also it was obviously a foreign experience because it's a sports network, but I'm an entertainment journalist. But one of the things that we talked about is that I would be doing stories that would be very content agnostic, which is what we kind of all strive to do. I think at um, at ESPN, meaning it can be a podcast, it can be a, a story, a written story, it can be you know a TV show, it can be m- many different things, but also it it can mean that I'm doing entertainment where it intersects with sports, and that's really what I've been doing. And I was looking for a different way, I think, to to tell the story of Hollywood. Um, these are these are five star problems to have. And I completely acknowledge that, but I definitely was hitting a point in my career where I was like, Oh, I have to interview Denzel again. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh, Brad Pitt. Sure. Okay. I can do another, another story on him. But, but under the umbrella of ESPN, I got to talk to the same people that I'd been talking to for 10 years in a different way. And I really liked the challenge of that. You know, I got to get to know people that I had gotten to know as well as you can know a subject when you're a reporter in a different way. And I enjoyed that. But um, but what's happened lately is that and I'm, I'm doing zero writing, uh, certainly not in the way that I'm accustomed to writing. I'm writing scripts now, <laughs> but I'm not, <laughs> you know, for, for my show, but I'm not... Um, I'm not writing, you know, these kind of magazine cover story pieces that I was doing before. And a lot of that is because of um, of the pandemic and and because the content has shifted in, in a different way. And it's become like a little bit of a surprising element, I think, for everybody, myself included, um, that I get to host an, an entertainment show that I don't have to make sure it intersects with sports. That's the other thing too, is that we've moved away from that. You know, it started off being, okay, well, if I'm going to talk to, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, I have to make sure we talk about how he's a big Atlanta Falcons fan or how he's the voice of the NFL or how he played badminton in college or, you know, things like that. We have to get the sports in somehow. And I was literally determined to get the sports in every piece. And now it's like, oh no, I just get to talk about being an entertainer. That's cool and different, <laughs> you know, with my experience at ESPN, but, but I like it. 
That's awesome. And it's a perfect segue because I heard you mention scripts. So it just broke that you have a show, a comedy that you're developing for Showtime with your best friend of like, I don't even know, how how far would you guys go back? Like 20 plus <laughs> years, Jamel. 20 and, plus years, yeah. yeah and uh, Gabriel Union. So based on a story that you, got, that you and Jamel wrote, um, tell me about that and then let's go into the show. Yeah, so... So, you know, Jay and I, we, we met, uh, technically we met at Michigan State, though. I knew of her before I got on campus, and we met literally during Welcome Week. And, um, you know, the story that I like to tell, because it's the truth, is that she stalked me into being her best friend, <laughs> <laughs> which people find to be very interesting if they really know the two of us, because I think they would probably think it was... It was me who was doing the the stalking, but that was not the case here. And uh, <laughs> but no, in 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 all truth, we we hit it off um, immediately, actually, and we're really inseparable, and um, just shared so many you know experiences um, that you share with your friends that you go to college with and that you end up living with your roommates with. You know, I talk about a board of directors helping me make choices with careers. I mean, she's, you know, CEO of my board of directors for my personal life. And she's probably the only member of that. Like there's, I don't date someone without talking, you know what I mean? It's truly like an essence of who who a best friend really is. And um, I mean, I'm like, can I go to the store? Is that okay? Best friend? Should I, should I go to (laughs) CBS now? You know, it's, it's almost one of those things. And, um, and we like, we, we decided probably about Oh, I'm getting old, but a few years back that we um that we should establish a production company together. And and truthfully, where it started from is I wrote this um oral story, uh, oral history story of The Wire. Um we both love that show and specifically it was about one episode of The Wire. It was game day. Um if anyone has ever watched that show, it essentially is um that particular episode was about how all gang activity stopped one day in West Baltimore because there was a basketball game that happened. And that was truly like the neutralizing thing in that, in that area. And so I wanted to tell an oral history of that particular, you know, episode and what that was like. And so obviously as as these things go, when you do oral histories, as you talk with, you know, um, the directors, writers, creators, actors, interns, anyone you can talk to, and anyway, I happened to be up in um, in Bristol uh, when that story uh, ran, and I was going on her show at the time. She was anchoring Sports Center, the 6 p.m. Sports Center, and she read it and she loved it so much. And she was like, "Hey, I have an idea I want to talk to you about." And I'm like, "All right, cool." And so we kind of sat down and and we just talked about what what types of stories we would tell if we had a production company. And I think we were both thinking nonfiction, you know, initially because we obviously are journalists, we're documentarians. And so that was the thought. And it was, can we, can we somehow translate an idea like this oral history, you know, story into something that's, that's moving like television, you know, what would that look like? And that's really where we, where we started. And so we got the blessing of, you know, of our company to do that. And then, um, and as you guys well know, at this point, Jamel eventually, um, uh, negotiated out of her deal and she left, she left ESPN. Um, and I'm still at ESPN and still had ESPN's blessing, you know, to, uh, to move forward. And 
I think she and I, in addition to some of the the nonfiction ideas that we had, we started thinking what a film would look like or what a fictional TV <laughs> series would look like. And with with no other expertise other than the fact that we both, that's something that's connected us for years. We both love to watch certain shows. Um, anyone who knows us, we are quote machines. So we literally can have an entire conversation doing nothing but quoting um, from our favorite films or TV shows. Um, and that's very annoying, and I'm sure to anyone who's ever listened to that, but it's also very real, very true to our friendship. And one one kind of shared experience that that we have is is that we are both the successful people in our families. Um, a lot of that, I think, comes from the visibility of what we do, but mm-hmm. also, you know, there's there's a financial um, you know element to that as well. And then we looked around and thought about our circle of friends and we feel the same way about our circle of friends. And that's something that we all have in common. Some of our friends in a more extreme way than others, but uh, we just thought that might actually be funny to somehow take a version of, of our reality and, and figure out what that would look like as a TV series. And um, we both also happen to be good friends with, Gabrielle Union. And at the time, (laughs) am I going to really tell this story? So at the time, I was getting out of a relationship. And I remember Gab called me and was like, hey, it was right before the holidays, actually. And she's like, hey, what are you doing for for New Year's Eve this year? And I was like, "Eh, probably going to sit on my couch, curled up in the fetal position and think about why and how this relationship ended. And she was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. Or <laughs> we could go to the Dominican Republic, got a couple of villas. But I was like, uh, yeah, actually, that sounds like a much better plan. Let's do that. And so we went on vacation like the next week and a half later. Um, and while we're literally like in the middle of this ocean, she was talking about her production company and she had just gotten a deal with Sony. And I was like, yeah, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but Jamel and I, um, you know, just started a production company too. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, it'd be cool. Like, maybe I'll send you some stuff and, and see what you think or whatever. And it was truly just like, you know, a very casual, probably boozy conversation we were having on vacation. And then, um, you know, the next year came around and maybe a few months later, I said, actually, I do have an exact project that I want to send to you. And she's like, great, send to us. And we were both really nervous about it because, um, I mean, you know, Gab has worked in this industry for so long and we respect her work so much. And it would have been really em- embarrassing, I think, had she been like, okay, guys, let me give you some advice. But instead, she read it. She hit me back immediately and was like, oh my God, I love it. And I I relate so much to all of these things that you guys are talking about, these characters that you've created and the storylines that you've created. Let's meet with my with my head of content and and sit down and talk about it. And we did. And, you know, it just kind of took off from there. We met with Sony. They loved it um, and made, you know, we went into business with them. And then we had to go through a process that we just I had never experienced before, obviously, because we'd never shopped a project around, but, you know, just met with different networks and really talked about 
what this was. We we also brought in a writer, Patrick Ian Polk, who's amazing. And um and he took, you know, what we had written and, you know, and made it work <laughs> in the world of television and and gave it, you know, that that much needed glisten and shine that it needed. And and you know, we shopped it around and um, you know, found a really great home at Showtime and we were really excited um about it because I feel like out of everyone that we met with, we met with just about everyone on the dial, Showtime was the one where we walked out of, uh, Jamel and I specifically, and we were like this, like, it just felt like that was the right space. And yeah. so when we got a phone call that, um, that they wanted, that they wanted us, that they wanted to make us um, an offer, we were like, oh, it was, that was one of the happiest days Um <laughs> Of 2020, and this is before this is before the pandemic kicked in, um, and then uh, and and then the pandemic happened. But, but we were really <laughs> we were really happy for that like one day, like oh my god, this is amazing, you know. And it worked out, and it's so funny because um, oh no, you know maybe I shouldn't tell that. I, I will say before we walk into a meeting, there there is um a very a very famous actor. Um, who I, I know pretty well and, and Jay knows him a little bit. Um, and uh, <laughs> he may or may not be the sexiest man alive right now. And when I, <laughs> and when we saw him, we like, you know, hugged him, you know, talked or whatever. And he's like, we're like, yeah, we're going in. So we, we jokingly are like, you know, Michael B. Jordan was like the, the, the good luck charm for us because we were so amped up having run into him that we walked in there probably because we were all talking about it. So we yeah. came in with like a different energy. Mm-hmm. And now I just need for Michael B. Jordan to make sure that he's a part of my life in real life for all of my other major <laughs> things that happened too, because it was, like, <laughs> it was really, it was, it was a really cool day. <laughs> I mean, Hey, as far as good luck charms go, you couldn't have picked a better one, right? I couldn't have so... picked a better one, right? <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I hope he doesn't kill me for saying that. But it was, it was really, it was so cool because we literally, I mean, imagine we're like, oh my god, Mike, blah blah, it's so cool. And this is right before, I think right before Just Mercy was about to come out. Mm. And I love that film. And and I had just shot this uh, like Sports Center commercial with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Fox and um, an NFL player and the um, the character uh, that Michael B. Jordan was portraying uh probably maybe a few weeks oh no it was earlier that year I we had shot it we shot it we used to shoot those off season so we shot that earlier that year and um but the movie was just about to come out and so we were talking about that and we're like and no one else had seen it that was in the you know in my group or whatever so I'm just oh my god you guys are gonna love it the billboards had just started going up and we were just so amped because he's just such a really nice guy and so happy we were like oh my god Michael B. Jordan and then as formal, I think, as we might have been in other meetings. Mm-hmm. And the energy just worked with who we were meeting with. And, uh, and so <laughs> thanks, Mike. <laughs> so the, note, the, the takeaway for this story is if you're going to pitch, make sure you see your lucky charm before you go in. Make sure you see a lucky charm, you know? Okay. I mean, if he's got a smile as great as Michael B. Jordan, then A+. plus. <laughs> so it sounds like it's gone really pretty you know, hypersonic speed with this. Where are you you at right now with the production? Um, Are you in development? Are you like pushing forward to do a pilot or what's the stage right now? 
working on the pilot right now, um, you know, we, we pretty much have much of what we need developed. Um, so, you know, Patrick is working on our pilot right now and, and we'll, you know, we'll see where it goes. Now, as far as the, the pacing of everything, this is something that Jamel and I have been working on for probably like two years, I would say. And then a year ago, you know, we found the right partners and now we're in this space. So it, you know, I know it, it probably all feels like it's a sudden thing and that it's, um, especially even the people who know us, cause we obviously weren't talking about it with, um, with even, you know, people that we, you know, trust and that we talk to. Um, but it's, it's something that we have been trying to make happen for, you know, a really long time. We've been living with it for a while. And so to be at this point where, you know, we have this, you know, development deal that we're trying to, you know, get the, get the pilot together and then, you know, cross our fingers that it becomes a real series. Uh, but I mean, I, I've covered Hollywood long enough to know that, you, you know, you just, you never know, even really great ideas sometimes don't get off the ground. Um, obviously, we really would love for this, what we think is a really great idea to get off the ground too. So yeah. we'll see, fingers crossed. What's the, I mean, obviously COVID throws a kink in things, but what's the rough timeline? Like you want to shoot it for pilot season 2022 or? I mean, maybe, you know, um, I'm going to leave that to like the people who are far smarter than, than I am about this. Plus, like you said, you have to add in the reality of, of COVID, you know, yeah. and what, um, and what all that's kind of brought <laughs> to the, to the mix too. Um, I do know because I, I obviously cover entertainment, but there are people that are shooting right now. Um, everyone's working, you know, there's, there's no one that isn't working in this town, um, that, you know, that's an actor or, yeah. or, or works on a set. So people are busy and people are steadily working. I don't know what that means for a new show though. You know, in all in all fairness, um, I know shows are returning, but I don't know about new shows. You know, this was the first uh, fall season where, you know, a network like Fox, for example, uh, didn't have a new live action series. You know, they were they had purchased. Ironically, they purchased uh, a show that Gab did does with Jessica Alba for um, for Spectrum and brought it to to their network because they, you know, because of COVID, they weren't able to to do that and shoot that. Um, so I don't know what that means as far as a timeline on when and if we'd be able to shoot this. But, you know, in my wildest dreams, I mean, tomorrow. <laughs> but that's, not, that's obviously not a reality. But, um, but, you know, I think as long as we get it to where it needs to be and, and get it right, I mean, if it, if it takes more, you know, more time to do that, um, then that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And this might be a little bit too future projecting, but, you know, assuming everything goes well and COVID gets under control and you guys can shoot for 2022. Are you I know you and Jamel are executive producers. Are you also going to be showrunners day to day on the project? Or are you just like, here's the idea you guys have at it and we'll go come up with something else? Oh, God, no, no. Um, because so I still have a job. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a showrunner. <laughs> yeah, no, no way. And I mean, and, and that's not where my skill set is, at least not right now. You know, I don't know if that's something I'd want to do, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years down the line. But um, but no, you know, for for me and for and for her, too, she obviously has a lot of things going on as well. I think that um, 
you know, we're, we want to be very protective of this series because I mean, it's, it's truly like our, our baby, you know, and, and we want to, you know, like I said, we want to make sure that it's done the right way. And we, you know, want to make sure that we're inspiring the stories and, um, and they're getting told the way that we kind of envisioned (laughs) that they get told. Now, maybe what I, what I could imagine happening and what I truthfully hope happens at some point is that we would write, you know, episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that would be kind of fun uh, just to do. And I would love to flex that muscle as a writer. And, um, and I, and I think that, you know, the door is open to do something like that, but to be a showrunner on this, no, we will (laughs) happily and gladly let experts like Patrick Ian Polk, you know, uh, take the reins, take the reins and, um, and make that, make that scene. Although important question for this and any future shows you and Jamel do, are you going to instate cookie day on any of your sets? Um, that is an amazing question. And <laughs> the answer is yes. And when we do, when we do, I, I'm going to have to run it by Jamel, but I'm sure she will a thousand percent agree. When we do, there's not going to be polite cookie day. So let me just give you guys a background. And Roshni, you obviously jump in. Um, so at our school newspaper, every Thursday, because Thursday night was the last night of close um, before for the weekend, because we obviously didn't publish on Saturdays and Sundays, we would do what was called cookie day. And we would, the minority rep and the student rep would go around and collect like a dollar, 50 cents, whatever <laughs> somebody had to offer and the, from the newsroom. And then with that money, we would go out and buy junk food, pizza, soda, whatever. And then you would bring it back into the newsroom and people would literally go ham it it got violent many times and that was part of the fun of cookie day like if you didn't get a black eye or like lose a tooth or a nail or something like you weren't doing it right at cookie day and after we left they started doing polite cookie day where like it'd be like hi would you tom would you like a slice of pizza and i was like what how who instituted polite cookie day and why is that a thing that's just wrong. No, that's I think criminal, the most, I think. The most polite cookie day ever got was you guys knocking on Photo's <coughs> door first. That was the politeness, letting us know it was happening. But uh, other than that, it was every yes. man or woman for himself or herself. Uh, yes, completely. Like, that, I mean, I would do that. To, I would give, like, some, my people a heads up. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to come through the back. Yep. With, you know, with the whole pizza. Like. Everyone else is coming through the front, but I'm going to come through the back with the whole pizza. So come follow me in the back and you get a slice. Sure, you would make deals like that with your homies. But like <laughs> this whole let's stand in line and take a number to get our food. Like, oh, no. That's ridiculous to me. Like I thought part of the fun was literally getting physical with somebody over a bag of M&M's. And I don't know why. Cookie Day ended up being, they probably even have health food at Cookie Day now. Oh, no, 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 no. They're probably doing like grilled tofu and hummus and those things are great and it's good for your cardiovascular health. Let's not ignore that. However, comma, Cookie Day <laughs> is about being gluttonous and we need to be gluttonous on the set of new money because <laughs> that's what we <laughs> Oh, man. Yes, you have to have Cookie Day on your set. That'll be amazing. 
<laughs> Kelly, this has been terrific. If people want to learn more about you or learn more about the show, where should they find you online? Um, all of my socials are the same. It's just Kelly L. Carter, K-E-L-L-E-Y L. Carter on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And then um, our company is Lodge Freeway Media, which, of course, we named uh, for a beloved highway in Detroit that <laughs> connects the suburbs in Oakland County with the city. And that obviously is Jamel and I. She's from the city. I'm from the burbs. And so Lodge Freeway Media is our company. And it also is Lodge Freeway Media on Instagram and Twitter, too. So Awesome. So, guys, definitely check out Kelly's website. Check her out on ESPN's Undefeated. And check out New Money when it hits the small screen, hopefully soon. 